Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Giordano, and today we're going live from the Isle of Skye in beautiful Scotland. Today I'm joined by Lisa Morris and Jason Spafford of Four Wheel Nomad, and we're going to talk all about their experiences going from two wheels to four and back again. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Overland Journal podcast. And a special thanks to Onyx Off-Road for helping to support this week's podcast. Going further on your adventures is about having the right tools. The Onyx Off-Road app's intuitive maps make it easy to find trails and disperse camping. And their offline maps give you full GPS navigation capability without cell coverage. I'm also really excited about their new route builder for planning and sharing custom trips. It's got a snap to trail tool where you can just drop points where you want to go and a route automatically connects to the closest road or trail. You can build, save, and add routes to folders and share your entire trip with your buddies. You can find out more information on onxmaps.com. You can also find their apps in the Apple Store or whatever other device that you use. Thanks again, Onyx. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host today, Ashley Giordano. We're doing this podcast in the field today, and I have two special guests with me, Lisa Morris and Jason Spafford, and they are four-wheel nomad on the interwebs. Yes. <laughs> and they're, I'm very excited to have them here today. They are a couple from the UK that's traveled all over the world, and really cool because you guys started out as adventure motorcyclists, and now you have four wheels. That's right. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, welcome. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you very much. Thanks for, for having us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, maybe <laughs> we'll start out with just telling the OJ podcast listeners a little more about yourselves and your background. Lisa and I met on a, a scuba diving holiday many years ago, back in 2000. We, our passion for diving sort of occupied our time for a good 10 years, and that's where we got our passion for travel from because we traveled to many places, scuba diving, and we had a great time. And then after about 10 years, we sort of hung the fins up, but we needed something else to sort of focus our minds on. And we still had that hunger for travel. So having watched Charlie Borman and Hugh McGregor mm. do their trip, you know, on the long way round and the long way up, or is it long way down? No, long way down. We decided that, oh, they inspired us to, you know, think about travel again, but oh, on motorbikes. Me personally, I thought logistically it would have been a nightmare to try and own a bike and then travel with it all over the world, all these different countries. Uh, but they showed us that actually it was possible. So this idea was formed and we were going to go and do the Americas on a motorcycle. But Lisa couldn't ride a motorcycle at the time, so she had to learn to ride just before. And then from there, uh, we sort of decided we'd do Africa. But with the experience that we'd had through the Americas, we decided that maybe four-wheel drive would be the best way to, you know, to attack a, a country, like, well, a continent like Africa. So there's a fun story about how you learned to ride. Lisa. There is. Uh, okay, so we, um, I was more than happy being Jason's pillion, uh, eating sandwiches, occasionally falling asleep, which I wouldn't advocate, <laughs> pointing stuff out to him and generally having a really nice time on the back. It actually never dawned on me once. It didn't hit my radar that I could ride my own bike. I was just content. And one day we attended a bike event at the NEC in Birmingham and I entered a few competitions and I never won anything. So when I won a runner-up prize, to experience some sample sessions on a 50cc automatic. I thought, hey, brilliant, I've won a prize. I'm going to do this. Jason even had quite grave reservations at this point for me <laughs> just to redeem my free sample lessons, taster sessions. So off I went just for two hours and had an absolute blast on this 50cc automatic. It just looked like a toy bike, if I'm honest. I didn't even know really where the engine was. It was so small and brilliant. So I had a blast and said to Jason, well, you know, this, this is easy. What's all the fuss about? Riding a bike is easy <laughs> on a 50cc automatic. So then I signed up for the full bike course, um, miraculously passed my test first time and went from a 125 um, to a 650. And Jason, meanwhile, had more reservations growing just because new rider had no clue what I was doing. Um, but passing your test on a 125 doesn't necessarily qualify you for 
uh, you know, a big trip from the southernmost tip of Argentina to the top of Alaska. Uh, long story short, I went against Jason's advice and bought myself a bike on eBay, a, <laughs> a BMW 650GS Pearl, because she was beautiful, blue, slightly old, older lady, needed a bit of nursemaiding. And well, the, the colour of this bike matched my helmet, um, which was just the qualifying criteria for me to buy this bike. And Jason spent three days and very three, you know, three very long nights taking this bike from very ugly duckling to beautiful swan. And this bike got me from the bottom of the planet to the top. And of course, as soon as I then, yeah, we adventurized this bike and got it, you know, bike ready for the Americas, Jason suddenly, it suddenly dawned on him that these reservations flew out the window and he thought, right, okay, we can um, obviously use your bike, Lisa, as the pack mule and I can take way more tech. I can take all my cameras, a drone, all the lenses, way more than he anticipated to take. Of course, my bike, yeah, she um, she performed a charm on the whole, more or less. And yeah, got us, we were then side by side. And honestly, riding beside your partner on your own bike is, you know, the most empowering thing I've ever done to date. Wow. Truly, it really is. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, to ride my own, to explain why we we both ride, just how I'm lighting up, just 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 thinking back to you know, the four and a half years that we, we spent astride those two bikes. Yeah, why do you ride? <laughs> oh, it's the best fun you can have with your clothes on. Um, no, that's a really... <laughs> it really is the most fun that you can... I just feel so well connected, I guess, to um, to the environment, my surroundings, and the activity that really defines the day, the trip. It's not just, yeah, jump jumping in um, a car where you feel like you're perhaps less well for me I feel a lot less connected when I am in a car now that I've done both I can definitely um I feel that yeah I can opine on both of those when I'm actually astride a bike I'm outside constantly permanently appreciating everything that's going on around me and uh, I feel like I can do that better on a bike than I can inside our inside white rhino our truck our hilux with your windows rolled up and your yeah. ac on and your music on yeah <laughs> coffee cup uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah all of that yeah i'm not disputing any of that all is good <laughs> so why do i ride i just love it i just love it that's a good question because you started when did you start riding i was 17 when i passed mm. my test and i been riding for years before this trip started and it was on sports bikes and i enjoyed the speed and you know the way the bike moved into corners and the whole biking scene and the camaraderie and you know i had friends that rode bikes but then after a while it was for me it was i wasn't going anywhere the activity wasn't enough so to just ride the bike wasn't enough i wanted another element to that so i sort of got out of biking for quite a few years and then like I said previous with watching Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman ride their bikes, I and I had this love for travel, so I thought I could connect the two together. I could I could travel on a motorcycle. So then my I rekindled my love for bikes through my travel. So yeah. Mm, very cool. Mm. They've inspired a lot of people. Yeah, they really have I think they really did pave the way, didn't they? I think they yeah. just opened up loads of people's eyes and almost were to the people responsible for creating this adventure motorcycling arena you know that some of us now find ourselves in i just think they're brilliant you know they did a really good job we literally mm. have i think it was long way around on a dvd in our storage mm. back in canada and yeah. it was one of the first i guess travel shows that we ever watched and we had no intention on overland travel we had no intention on driving anywhere right. around the world or to South America or whatever. Mm. We had no intention of getting bikes, but yet yeah, this story and the relationship yeah. and the way that they documented it was, it seems like it, it's so far reaching. So it's really. It's yeah. Cool and I think, I think they also showed that, you know, the world's not a scary place like we all imagine, you know, I think we all watch too many n news shows and, you know, and we get this probably uh, an unfair idea of what the world is like and we just found that while well, whilst traveling on bikes that everybody was warm and 
welcoming and you know and and it certainly opened up our eyes to you know and this whole world of people that had already gone and done it well long before you and charlie as well it's just because they had such a huge platform to showcase their trip then the whole world you know had access to looking and, and discovering what they had done you know people like austin vince they he'd been doing that you know decades before and having a blast it's just we didn't know about that until we discovered Charlie and you, and then you, you know you kind of enter this world, and you're suddenly exposed to all these amazing people, and riding on bikes for us through the Americas, it it, it kind of magnetizes people to you. Um, you've got this vulnerability, haven't you? You've got this. It just, I think, um, attracts people to just to come up and say hello. You've got you, you're outside, you're on your bike. You, you know you're very approachable when you're you're just right there. And, and for us, yeah, the people that we met, um, the spirited people we met on that trip in the Americas, it's just not quite the same. I, we don't seem to draw that, that same incentive for people to come up to you when you're locked in your, yeah, your cage on wheels. It, it's not quite the same, is it? It's just different. I'm, you know, we, we just found that was the, one of the biggest draws for me, the biggest incentives to keep riding and keep riding was just the yeah, the people that we met along the way. Mm. It is everything. It was totally mm. part but, of the essence of why I, I rode my bike. Uh, I think uh, sort of adding to what Lisa was saying about, you know, this approachability, I think I get the impression that, you know, people see you as not only as a bit of a novelty because, you know, it's not every, you know, you don't see many people traveling around the world on motorcycles compared to like people like in cars that you know you'd see vans. you'd see for like cars and vans and everybody's used to that but particularly yeah. if you had a foreign number plate and you're on a motorcycle people like gravitate they're curious they want to come up and they want to talk to you so we found that being on motorcycles we had that interaction more with local people because we i don't know maybe that with vulnerability that these guys are on motorcycles and you know and a lot of people, I think, in, in particularly in uh, developing countries, they're, they're curious as to why somebody would possibly want to travel on a motorcycle <laughs> yes. when there's a perfectly good car, you know, that you could travel in. Why would you ever want to travel on a motorcycle? So I think there's, there's an element of that as well. And as well to have the whole world, all your essential belongings, you know, stuffed inside two panniers and a roll bag really made me learn the whole idea behind light and tight packing you know to have your whole world on your bike you know to be able to do that and all that other stuff that you've got back home in a few boxes in storage you won't think about once you don't miss that at all so that is so liberating you know to just go everything i need is just behind me yeah in, you my, in be my back an expert at minimalism we yeah, should be yeah. <laughs> I've still got room for development. For sure. <laughs> Everyone does. I'm yeah. Sure. Yeah. They, oh God. Yeah. yeah. I think it, it makes you realise what you truly need, and mm. uh, when you when you're forced to scale down to you know something very small, you realise actually you don't really need a lot at all. So tell me about moving into the vehicle because you went from well, I guess four wheels, but yeah. separately to four wheels. Yeah. Together. Yeah, I we guess. did. Yeah. <laughs> So you went away yeah. from the bikes and you went to your... That was a big travel metamorphosis. Yeah, it was... Uh, one thing I found with, with traveling uh, with bikes, you do get that feeling that you're more connected to your environment. You're outside. You get, you're getting the smells. You're getting the wind in your face. You know, you're getting the difference in temperature. You do feel a lot more, and we felt more, a lot more connected than being inside a car. Somebody once said to me um, that... They equated traveling a bike to a car as a bit like in a car, you're watching the movie. Uh, when you're on a bike, you're actually in the movie. Mm. So in some ways, I can, I can relate to that. The decision to move from bikes to a car was when we were traveling to these amazing places, we realized that the limitations of traveling on a bike, you can't carry enough food and you can't carry enough water. So you'd go out into the desert and you go to these amazing places, but then you knew that you had to be close to civilization because, hey, you know, you, we can only carry six liters of water each. Right. So we'd go to these places and go, Re we really want to stay a bit longer, but we can't because we physically can't because we, we need water and we need food. So the idea to move to a truck was to be a lot more self-sufficient. So we could carry water for a week or maybe 10 days. We could carry food for a week, 10 days. So we could stay out in these environments a lot longer. Mm. Be self-sufficient, be off-grid, have the, 
the fridge, I have some solar, an onboard shower and all the other comforts and amenities that you can now, you know, Wi-Fi and all the rest of it on our truck. Yeah, we kind of wanted to embrace all that and, you know, and experience being off grid for, for a lot, lot longer for substantial periods. And then you can just really sink into a place. So your vehicle is a... It what is here? a Toyota Hilux 2015. 2.5 litre diesel turbo. Yes. And it has a... It's uh, a white one. <laughs> <laughs> white Rhino? Yes, yeah. of course. It has a canopy on the back. Yes. And a rooftop tent. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what are some other things you added to it so that you could... So we have a draw system by a company called Gearmate. They're a company in the UK. They make draw systems for the police force and the army. The draw systems are quite robust, made of metal. And on top of that, we've got a Dometic fridge. Behind that, we have a 46-litre front-runner water tank, along with a 20-litre Lifesaver jerry can, which comes with its own water filter built in. Uh, we also have on the, we have a roof rack, which is, again, a front-runner roof rack. On top of that, we have our Max Tracks. We have uh, a box where I fitted a, a cheap Chinese diesel heater, which on cold days, we can pump hot, hot air into the tent. Oh, that's a game-changer. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, particularly when Chilly we went times. up to the Arctic, you know, like my, minus 20 Celsius and then inside the tent plus 20 Celsius. For us, it was the difference between having a miserable time and having quite a comfortable, nice time. Being in a tent with no insulation whatsoever. And then... Which is an iCamper. Okay. A Sky Camp full yeah. berth tent with yeah. a memory foam mattress Ooh. with a bit of floor power, <laughs> LED lights. It's really comfortable in there because it... Uh, because it's I can't can accommodate four people you know it's so spacious for two of us to spread around not be on top of each other mm -hmm. and just yeah have a spacious uh, environment up there to to live sleep work and then we have a a shower unit by a company called Jolka um and that's great because as long as we've got a water source close by to the truck we can shower, which again was an issue we found sometimes when we were out in the middle of nowhere that we had to then go back to civilization to get the shower. Uh, now we can stay out for longer periods as long as we've got some kind of water source, a river, stream, lake, something like that. So that was a great addition that we've just added to the truck. We have the shower cubicle as well, which again we need for the shower, which so, is also acts as a privacy tent should we need to go to the toilet and there's people around. That's a direct 4x4 four four, mm. yeah, UK company that have given us the, uh, the, the tent. Then there's a guzzle H2O. Yeah, so uh, water filtration. Again, if we are close by to a water source and we can now pump the water directly from a river or stream directly into the water tank, whereas before we'd have to carry the water uh, in the Lifesaver jerry can, then filter it through that and transport it into our main water tank. Now we don't have to do that. We can pump it straight into the water tank which is a lot quicker the canopy is rsi smart canopy a south african company and they've and they've given that this is a kind of whole install plug and play with two gull wings and one of the gull wings is um like a plug and play installed kitchen there's a whole fully equipped kitchen that comes in one of those i think you thought initially we wouldn't use that and we've used that we use that daily it looks very well organized some place to you know completely store all those you know all your pots and pans and all your utensils and things like that that yeah. one section that. is almost like a foam cutout yeah portion really interesting where the um the glasses have their own little yeah. cutout and yeah. the plates and the pots and it's pretty genius gnt glasses mm. <laughs> very important yeah. all the essentials now on board yes <laughs> great it's great because then they're not going to rattle around it's a great system. We have nice. also uh, the wheels. Oh, yeah, uh, we've upgraded the, the wheels from the original wheels, which meant that we could actually have larger tires on the vehicle, which also helps with you know, being off-road. Larger circumference tires make you know, those bumpy roads a little less bumpy. Um, we have BF Goodridge tires. And then we have a winch on the front uh, by a company called Goodwinch. It's um, a good winch, isn't it? It is a good winch. It's a very good winch. <laughs> We've used it way more to help other people who get stuck. 
in perhaps like the black sand in Iceland. You, we've rescued a ton of people in their hire cars than we've actually ever needed it for ourselves. We've never needed it really, touch wood, but yeah. it's there. It's nice to pay it forward though, isn't it? It yeah. is. And have things like that. Yeah. yeah. You can just get a many family out of a scrape. For yeah. sure. Yeah. So this build, when you, I don't want to say finished it, I'm assuming, you know, it's always a process, but mm. yeah. anyways, you have this four wheel drive vehicle now. How does that change how you go forward and where you go with it and which trips you planned well for example iceland we went in the fall which on a motorcycle would probably be quite challenging because of course the snows are starting to arrive um particularly in the interior you're further away from civilization as i said earlier we can then stay out for a lot longer which means that we can actually explore further into places like the interior of iceland whereas uh on a bike particularly at that time of year it would be pretty challenging if not impossible so because now we're in a four by four with all this capability and the fact that we can sustain ourselves out in the field for longer which it meant that we could go and then explore further into these places which would ordinarily well you couldn't really do realistically mm -hmm. on a motorcycle tell me more about that trip is that part of an arctic well, that, trip or was that separate that was that done... was separate so that right. was before the pandemic 2019 yeah so we we decided at the time that we would do a trip from the bottom of africa to the top of norway and we called it cape to cape so cape town to nordcap because of the pandemic that got cancelled but when things started opening up we then did the trip up nordcap up to the top of norway came back down again went across to the faroes for two weeks and then carried on to Iceland for two months. So we, we traveled on a ferry. So it took four days to get to Iceland with the truck. So two days to the Faroes and then another two days to Iceland and then the same on the way back again. Mm. So, but Iceland was just incredible. It was, it was amazing. It's certainly a place I would love to go back again. So uh, I don't know why we started actually going up to Nordcap when we did want to start in Cape Town, didn't we? But we decided, well, being in the UK, it just made a little bit more sense to get that European leg out of the, well, just to start with that leg, really, I suppose. And so, yeah, in 2019, before COVID hit, we then, yeah, ventured off because we'd finished our bike trip in 2018 and, yeah, found then being in the truck, why not just go up to Nordcap first and then ship the truck out to South Africa, to Cape Town. And then we were just going to yeah, mix the whole trip up on its head and then ride up through the African continent back to where we started. However, <laughs> we only got as far as Nordcap. And then when we uh, took the uh, truck back to the UK to swap out the cold layers, the warm layers and make it Africa ready, that's when COVID hit. But unfortunately, by that time, we'd already shipped our truck to Cape Town. Uh, Covid hit round end of March, didn't it? Twenty twenty. Yeah. And our truck was on a ship making its way to South Africa. <laughs> that was an expensive exercise. <laughs> no. Hey ho! You, you just chalk it down. Stuff happens, right? And so we had to turn that truck around as soon as it made its way onto South African soil. We turned it around Oof. to get our property back. That it came back to us later on in twenty twenty. When COVID hit. How were the logistics getting it back to you? Was that complicated during that time? No. It, was... it just took longer. Sure. Yeah. I think everything just took longer, didn't it? But it, yeah. was, it was as easy to, to bring it back as it was, I guess, to send it mm. out. It just, yeah. It hit, expensive. It, yeah, it yeah. was expensive. To go, your vehicle went. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it had a great time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It didn't send a postcard, but it still had fun. <laughs> yeah. it made it it did cape to cape didn't it actually it did do that i think we didn't but it did yeah it was it was sat on somebody's land for two months and i think like all of us we thought oh you know this is going to be what two or three months and everything's going to be back to normal and when i realized that this wasn't going to go away anytime soon uh, i rang up the guy who's 
who was looking after the the truck on his land. Oh, was it Oasis Overland? No, it was a guy, a guy called Duncan from uh, African Overlanders. African Overlanders, all oh, right. Yeah. And uh, I said, look, you're going to have to ship it back. And he was going, are you sure this is going to be over soon? You know, and I went, no, that's not the impression I, I'm getting. I said, look, you're just going to have to ship it back. So he shipped it back, unfortunately. But, you know, it's still there. It's still a, a trip that we still intend to do. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask about your Nordic trip and what things stood out to you or were unexpected or that you learned while you were in that region that you didn't anticipate. So that was this year then, January and February, taking the truck to the Nordics, Norway, Sweden, Finland, starting out shipping you know, from the UK over to Herschel's in Denmark and then taking it spending the majority of the time in Norway. One thing I did take into effect was in winter, they only plow the roads, which means that we couldn't physically get the vehicle off the road. So camping was a problem. Particularly in Finland, more than Norway, actually. Yeah. Particularly in Finland. So you'd see these beautiful places, but you, you couldn't get off the road because there's always a big snowbank. No! So that that was not something I was expecting, to be honest, but... Yeah, yeah how would you know, I guess? Where yeah. did you end up camping then? Like, how did you pivot from... We camped in places that we would probably not have ordinarily picked, like, uh, I don't know, car parks in small villages or towns. Or, or on one time when I really, out of my own frustration for not being able to get off the road, I decided I would punch my way through a snowbank because <laughs> it looked like there was a flat space for me to camp by a lake and i went straight into a ditch no and i had to get a local to use pull their us witch out. yeah to pull us out <laughs> so that was the first and only time that i attempted anything sort of off-road uh, so i learned my lesson that you know really i should be testing where i'm going where i'm going to drive first <laughs> by getting out and checking before i just commit but luckily, we did it in a village and there was local help, so it wasn't a problem. Good. You guys seem to really like to travel in the wintertime. <laughs> Which isn't how we built the truck at all. We built really the truck for Africa in warm climate. And yeah, you're right. We have tended to gravitate towards cold places yeah, in the winter. Including Scotland when it's not always the warmest, is it? Cold, wet, windy conditions. And, and with our truck, you can't... Uh, cook inside you can't do anything inside it's just too many jaws <laughs> and things you know there's no indoor living space apart from the rooftop tent which we find when it's too windy you can't even go in there either so we have had quite a few nights where we've just been forced to camp on in the double cab rolling the seats back which is like being on an easy jet flight <laughs> but rubbish reclined the seat like this and we've slept quite a, f- a number of nights oh, wow. doing that that would not suit most people yeah, with the great big whopping sleeping bags to stay what well, It's been warm enough. It's just not the most comfortable night's sleep, is it? So it's a bit more, it's a bit more okay for me. I can just curl up into a fetal position. But for Jace, he's always, you know, sleeps on the driver's side. So he's got a steering wheel and pedals in the way. And I, I once swapped with him to try and be nice. And I thought, never again. That was awful. <laughs> that was awful. So you have really good sleeping bags, it sounds like. Yeah, we I'm do. assuming, well, you have the heater. Yeah. We're, um, we're really excellent at making gear. one pot meals. <laughs> one pot meals, yeah, I was going to Seven ask. and a half minutes and we're, we're done and dusted back in the truck. Amazing. When it's, you know, when it's like minus 26. Yeah. That was interesting on that Arctic trip when, you know, we would oftentimes be outside around five o'clock in the evening, the afternoon, and all the oil, all the cooking oil had frozen, the milk had frozen, like all the food. And, you know, there's no point in keeping the fridge on because you're living in a fridge. <laughs> but then everything freezes eventually, even inside the fridge. Mm. So it is, yeah, that was a challenge. So you don't even switch the fridge on. In fact, the fridge is actually it's used to keep, power, yeah. keep your food warm. Right. Or warmer than the surrounding outside so temperature. Is, so you wouldn't even switch it on. You'd have to keep random items in your fridge because mm. that was the insulate. Or, you know, just pull things into the double cab. We soon, we soon dialed in and thought, what, what should we travel with inside the day? So that it's not rock solid frozen at night. Yeah, like yeah. water and tea problem. towels. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, just go, you know, drying your pots. <laughs> you can't dry pots with um, kind of blocks of ice for, that are masquerading no. as a no. tea towel. No. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call them? Tea towels. Yeah. Dishcloth. Dishcloth. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. 
And a special thanks to Onyx Off-Road for helping to support this week's podcast. Going further on your adventures is about having the right tools. The Onyx Off-Road app's intuitive maps make it easy to find trails and disperse camping. And their offline maps give you full GPS navigation capability without cell coverage. I'm also really excited about their new route builder for planning and sharing custom trips. It's got a snap to trail tool where you can just drop points where you want to go and a route automatically connects to the closest road or trail. You can build, save, and add routes to folders and share your entire trip with your buddies. You can find out more information on onxmaps.com. You can also find their apps in the Apple Store or whatever other device that you use. Thanks again, Onyx. Do you guys have any life hacks for winter camping? Don't go. <laughs> Stupid idea, isn't it? <laughs> but you keep going. There must yeah, be something well, that draws yeah, you yeah. to it. Don't rely on your technology, for sure. Electronics. Yeah, because if anything fails, I mean, it's great having a diesel heater, but if it fails, you really do need, like, seriously, you, you know, for, you know, in case you get into trouble, you need it. You need a sleeping bag that, you know, is going to, you know, be good enough for those temperatures. Good so we, we would always yeah. have the best sleeping bags we could afford, the ones that went down to the lowest temperature. So, you know, if, if the proverbial poo hit the fan, then, you know, we're not going to die out there because, you know, if the diesel heater packs up with the car stops working and, you know, it's not the, the heater in the car is not working, we could at least, you know, be, be comfortable to a lesser extent. It'd just be nice to be comfortable as well, yeah. even if things don't. Foot warmers and, for me and hand warmers mm. for inside your gloves. Foot warmers were just this time. I wish I'd had those in Iceland and the Faroes, but this time you know in norway when it is minus silly foot warmers and hand warmers that you know stay hot for eight hours oh i was just happy this time you know i wasn't thinking about the cold and not being present because i was too cold i was really there you know i was really enjoying this it was brutal but beautiful and because i was warm my extremities are warm i i could keep functioning and really really absorbing what was around me really enjoying where we were yeah that helps a lot just taking that the edge was. off it did yeah yeah you know, and obviously the, we had the right gear as well. We had some Arctic gear so we could stay uh, really comfortable. What other winter hacks did we discover? Well, water was always a problem, keeping it from freezing. And then uh, filling up sometimes. I don't know if that was an issue for yes. you at all, but... So that's the problem because, of course, where we were going, all the lakes are frozen. So We weren't outdoor showering on that trip. No. <laughs> we went no. to swim pools, leisure centres, and just paid for a shower. <laughs> yeah, so wet wipes. Five. Is, five is a shower, eight is a is a bath, apparently. But, but not so. when they're frozen. <laughs> <laughs> Which they often were, because I used to keep them on the back of the jaw. No. Oh, in the no. beginning, yeah. <laughs> and you learn quickly on those trips. Yeah. Unless you wanna be wanna do it the Swedish way and jump in a frozen lake then you're going to rely on you know swimming pools leisure centers that kind of thing that provide showers we've often done that where we've gone to these places paid a, a, f a few euros to have a shower and then you just don't shower between those yeah. you know at least you're not sweaty no, no. Well, that's the great thing you're, Cold all you're the time. not yeah. sweating so you know you don't need a shower so much you know so you guys are from the uk how much adventuring do you do in your own kind of backyard because obviously scotland seems to be a really special place for you you keep coming back obviously good reason why yeah what about this we're area? lucky because we've got the whole of europe as well true we, on oh, our doorstep. doorstep very close so we've just come back from a trip from uh, down to spain and portugal france how do you get out so, of here so well, two ways. okay one of two ways yeah so there's the there's the uh euro tunnel the Eurostar, which is a train, just takes you through the tunnel with 30, your vehicle. With yeah, your vehicle, thirty-five yeah. minutes. Um, wow! I know. How much is it? Uh, we, you, I don't know. Are you looking between? Uh, uh, no, it's a little bit more than that. I, I think uh, maybe a hundred and fifty pounds. What? Maybe two hundred US dollars, something like that, okay. roughly. What with truck? With the truck and, with the vehicle and, two, and people, two people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then of course there's. There's several ferries that will get you across to the continent, depending on where you, you want to get off. Yeah. Right, like yeah. straight to Spain? So you can go yeah, straight to Spain. Yeah, that was further, so right. we paid more. And there mm. was a two-night crossing 
so yeah, we paid a bit more just to cut out a little bit of driving that we didn't want to do and went straight to uh, Santander, Santander, which is the on the north coast of Spain. But this ferries over to France, this ferries over to Denmark, this ferries over to the Netherlands. Mm. We've got easy access to Europe. But yes, yeah. we do keep returning to Scotland. Mm. And especially as restrictions were starting to become lifted, uh, were starting to lift through lockdown, then yeah, it was just a really great place to naturally socially distance by coming up here. It was an easy place to come to and just scoot off into the highlands for a bit. Yeah, I mean, and get dramatic landscapes yeah. are hard Got to... Get out of Costa Dale living room whilst World War Bog Roll was going on. Uh, yeah. It's interesting because in this area, there aren't necessarily a lot of off-pavement trails except for green laning, which yeah. I don't know if you guys have... I'm sure you've experienced green laning at this yes. point. Yeah. It's, I don't know too much well, about the, it. The, the thing with, with England and Wales is if you come up to Scotland, you have this thing called the right to roam which means that you can you can camp anywhere in Scotland not in a vehicle but you can walk anywhere you can camp any, anywhere and as long as you're not making yourself a problem you can park your vehicle by the side of the road nobody's going to bother you you can camp anywhere you want Providing you leave a respectful distance from say the residents who are in their houses as long as you, there's, there's a respectful distance between you and the houses then right. it's generally fine unless there's a it's a specific area or yeah. there's a sign Correct. or because there are yeah. certain areas in Scotland. Yeah. Like yeah. Loch Lomond. Loch Lomond, yes. Yeah, very specific, right? Yeah. 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 Unless there is a, a local restriction, um, you have this right to roam. It obviously doesn't ac- comply everywhere if you've got a vehicle, but if you want to walk across any, even private land in Scotland, um, you're allowed to actually travel across by foot and you're allowed to camp. Not obviously in people's gardens, but, you know, private estates, they can't stop you traveling across their their estates by foot Mm. and camping. Yeah. Unlike England, which, you know, it's not possible. So it's a lot harder to camp, whether that be in a ground tent or in a truck in England. It's it's less accepted. Right. So that's one of the unique things about Scotland, which is the reason why we come up here a lot, is this accessibility to be able to just park up somewhere and camp and people aren't gonna they might they might ask you to move on politely um but legally you are allowed to you know right camp Hmm. and of course it's so beautiful so why wouldn't you come up here yes and it's so close to where we live so six hours up up the motorway and and you're in this amazing landscape with with you know uh, a population that is there's such a massive disparity between how many of us are living in England versus how many people are here in Scotland, it's a real draw. It's a real incentive to be in Scotland because there's hardly one, anyone here in the rural areas. It's just so easy to get away from people. Yeah, like England, it's much more difficult. Yeah, it feels overpopulated there. The landscapes are quite stunning and. Not just stunning. I don't know. It's quite dramatic. It's isn't dramatic. It? Yeah, yeah. A lot more dramatic. dramatic compared to our beautiful, pretty pockets in England. Yes, I feel it's a bit more dramatic here in Scotland. And even though yeah. there's not as much of a an off pavement culture in this area, I haven't felt like it's been lacking in any shape or form. You know, no. we're perfectly happy driving on the pavement because mm. you are in and there's amongst, so aren't you? much going on and so much to see and learn yeah. and experience here that yeah. just, you know, it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know? Because you've got this wild landscape and you just happen to have a sealed road running through it. So you still get that feeling that you are in this amazing wild place. Uh, down in England, where obviously there's, it's a lot more developed and a lot more built up, you'd, you'd certainly lose that that sense of being out in somewhere special. Um, there is, like Lisa was saying, there is beautiful pockets of, of England, but it, it doesn't have the drama that Scotland has. Which so. means the weather. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the midges. Yeah, the yeah. midges. At this time of year, when any day now, they're just going to descend in the masses. So usually around the 1st of June, and I know we're on the 24th of May, we're bracing ourselves. Yeah, any day now. Yeah, it hasn't been too bad yet. Um, no. For the North American v- listeners, yeah. midges are they're kind of like no-seums. Yes. Bite and 
oh, do they bite in the mass, you know, in their hundreds and thousands? Yeah. And just have experience of midges. The midge repellent, which is, um, yeah, like a natural blend, is at the ready. Awesome yep. stuff. Yeah, yeah mid, on the mid, midge nets. Midges yeah. are, I mean, <laughs> I, I've never seen one up close, but they must have the largest jaws <laughs> in relation to their body size of any animal on the planet. Probably. They, but the great thing is, is they're so small and they can't fly against uh, relatively... Light breezes. Light breezes, yes, yeah. thank you. So anything yeah. above two, three mile an hour and they go to ground, so it's not a problem. And Scotland is usually pretty windy. Yeah, on the whole. So most days mm -hmm. you don't need to worry about them. But on one of those rare occasions when it's a beautiful evening maybe and, and there's you no wind outside, and you, you want to sit outside, then they can be a bit of a problem. Yeah. But only, only in the spring and the summer months. After that, they die off and so... My tip for anybody coming to Scotland is get here before May. Yeah, no, I don't think they affect people in spring. It's kind of like June onwards, isn't it, for the summer? <laughs> <laughs> what are some places in Scotland that you would recommend, like your favourite spots here? Um, Scottish Highlands on the west side. Yeah, for sure. Do I we mean, want to give all our secrets away? Yeah, do we want to give them all away? Should we just say Scotland? <laughs> <laughs> a few places. Yeah, yeah, there's a few places. Obviously, the Isle of Skye. Mull is, is beautiful. As well. The Isle of Mull. Yeah. Um, what are some things on these islands that you love the most? Like, what are the things that bring you back here over and over again? I think the dramatic landscapes, the wildlife. You know, we have sea eagles now up here that have been introduced that oh. were that were extinct, but they've been reintroduced over the last few years into Scotland, and they're doing really well. So these huge eagles that, if you're lucky enough to spot one, are no. really impressive. Deer. Red deer, Loads we've got of lots stag. of red deer. Yeah, and stag. Um, we even had red squirrels over in the Cairngorms. No, really rare. Because their American cousins got introduced to the UK and they carry a, a squirrel pox, which oh, no. unfortunately decimated the red squirrel population. So we have them in little pockets and this... Scotland is one of their strongholds, so you We've know. Got wild cat. Wild cat. Uh, Did the wolves in Scotland? No, no wolves and bears, unfortunately. Okay. So if you, you know, yeah, yeah nasty nip from a badger though. <laughs> um, a lot of um, Highland cows with very the same colour hair as me. Yeah. yeah. Yep, my kin. Yeah, they look like something that's been left over from the Ice Age. The morning after the night before. Yeah. <laughs> they, they look quite menacing with their big horns, but actually they're quite docile and quite sweet, especially mm. the carbs. But we get lots of them here. We've got a ton of bird life, not just bird of prey, but yeah, it is. It is yeah. a really biodiverse spot yeah. here in Scotland. Lots of, lots of whales, dolphins, otters. Yeah, so if you're into wildlife, this is certainly the place to come. Tons of flora. So a lot of the things you're describing have shown up in your stories and your photography. And you guys are regular contributors to Overland Journal and Expedition Portland have been for quite Yay. some time. Yay. And in fact, you guys are Overlanders of the Year. Oh, yes. We yeah. were really excited to receive that. I'm Thank very you. surprised as well. Yeah, very really cool. humbled. Yeah. Well deserved. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. I wanted to ask you about, so Lisa does most of the writing, maybe all of the writing, Correct. perhaps, and you're specializing in photography yes, and video? We, yes. Yeah. We we have an exclusive division of labor. Uh, <laughs> yes. Visuals. Words. Yes. Done. How do you work together as a couple while also working together creatively? What does that process look like? I will usually nudge Jace to capture a certain type of image um, set of visuals for a story that I'm thinking of writing now we're going to go here Jace I really want to write a story about this bear that in mind get your camera out off you go <laughs> those are pretty general great yeah. directions yeah. yeah you love your drone too so you'll get that up yeah I, I've never videos. attempted to put pen to paper maybe you know maybe, maybe I'm really good at it I've never I've never really tried but uh, I think it works for us it's where my passions lie uh, Lisa loves to write so we've never felt the need to sort of cross-pollinate if you like I don't think I could spot really a good composition if it jumped out and gave me a haircut I'm really not visual at all I'm way better writing about something. That's where my skill set lies. My strengths, my interests, my creative outlet stops my brain going to mush. And Jason's all about, you know, he wants to be behind the camera, use and abuse me for scale. And I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> 
as long as I don't look at the camera. <laughs> Stop <laughs> doing that, Lisa. No one wants to see you looking at the viewer. <laughs> Sorry. Are there things that you guys have learned over time with shooting and writing that have made the process easier for you now and maybe a little bit quicker or more efficient? I think because I've learned patience over the years, I'm happy to stand in one spot, not look up at the northern lights, stay stock still and be a statue for you however you need me for as long as you need me to i think two hours is about my limit and then i'm like we're, we're done we're so done I'm, I'm, whatever you haven't got now so i think that that helps that i'm prepared to do that for you and you know do that throughout the day or mm. throughout the night lisa it's 2 a.m we're in alaska I, and it's I, I think yeah night sun come on i think lisa now knows exactly what kind of shot i'm looking for so there's less direction if you like which can, especially if we're a long distance away i mean maybe we should invest in walkie talkies i think but, we have done in the past yeah. and that help, really helps doesn't it to but, the left to the right yeah. up down yeah so i mean if well, like i want to put lisa in a, in a landscape then you know generally she might be quite far away and then communication can, can be quite difficult but if lisa knows exactly what i'm looking for then she can just it saves a lot of time i think that maybe you know over over the over the course of the years we've been producing content, it does make Lisa sort of knows what I'm looking for and makes makes life a lot easier. And springboarding yeah, sure. off that as well, knowing that me in shot is one type of shot and then me out of shot, the exact same shot, is also just as valuable. You know, for various publications such as Overland Journal that don't need a person in the shot for all of, you know, the to tell the story right so yeah to do it twice do, th do that kind of shot twice have a variety yeah. of uh angles and yeah. getting out of that vertical um portrait shot uh, mindset ah. for instagram getting out of that mindset and going I, this i don't want to do this for instagram this is for me this is for personal this is for a certain publication to remember also yeah to not take everything in portrait <laughs> yeah you know that's um a valid point do you usually do a, a trip i mean this is going to be different because you've done long-term trips and shorter term trips mm -hmm. um and while you're i'm assuming on the long trips you're writing throughout but yeah. i guess my question is when you have an idea about an article are you thinking about it ahead of the trip if it's a shorter trip or is it usually happening after you've already done it it'd be both yeah yeah that's kind of what i thought yeah Mm -hmm. to have a notebook on me at all times or to just punch some notes into the phone and just to keep um keep jotting down those ideas as they're yeah emerging and is it usually a place that you're inspired by or could it be i'm sure it could be anything but or something that has happened yeah 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 i can i can go for both really just to uh, write up a travel story that about an interesting place with some history or um if some if some unusual occurrence might happen so some drama takes place and you know it, it has done in the past many times that then becomes the story is the very unexpected turn of events and how things just go from good to bad to ugly and then how you've uh, reacted to that situation and all the drama that comes with you know travel all the high highs low lows the whole caboodle what are some things about this way of travel that suck four-wheel drive or two wheels Ooh, both. Oh, what? like what are some hard? We tend to be like, this is great. Yeah, we have this freedom, and we're doing right. this and seeing this, and of course on Instagram, people are seeing beautiful shots, and you're out in mm. nature, and you're like, well, house. you don't know that I've pooped in a bag, or you don't know that. <laughs> so the reality, <laughs> then. So you want the reality? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think I think as we know that there's no perfect vehicle. So, as I said earlier, you know, the, the drawbacks of being on a motorbike are that you can't stay out in these wild places as easily as if you're in a truck that you can carry more supplies. The bike makes you feel, me personally, makes me feel more connected to the environment. Things that suck. Just, you know, the, <laughs> the vibration through the bars, you know, for yeah. example, which, you know, maybe some people have not considered is is the connection to the ground that you're traveling on. That's you know, it. there's, less, there's less stimulation to the environment that you're in 
when you're in a truck. But on the flip side is when you do get off your bike or out of your truck. You're a human tuning fork. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a human tuning fork, yeah. You're like this all night, just tingling <laughs> on you. As a person who's never ridden a bike, I would never have thought about, and I wonder, I feel like I'm getting flashbacks to the podcast with Jeremy and Elle where mm -hmm. they were saying they're on their bike holding on the handlebars like this for hours and hours and hours and hours, and I never thought about that the physical act of riding yeah because yeah. yeah. it's all it's all your senses they're they're feeding you information all the time it's not just about you know the 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 wind on your face the temperature uh the smells there's also like you know you're connected to the ground you're traveling on through the bike the vibrations the the kind of ground you're traveling on and in the early days on our first bike trip when i was a brand new rider i would hang on way too tight white knuckle type scenario and I remember one stint of riding one day, we'd maybe, we'd maybe got 250 off-road miles under our belt on really good dirt, but I found it really challenging because I'd just not done it before. And I actually developed the, these mus a muscle here on each arm. And it, it was like this bump, <laughs> this new muscle I'd never mm. seen before on my pipe cleaner for an arm. And I, I was so proud of this little muscle that it just popped up on both of these arms. I was so proud of it. But actually, I was exhausted, I'd totally broken myself. I was riding all in all the wrong ways possible. Jason's like, "Why are you holding on this tight?" And I and it was where I was wearing my own handlebars, smooth, clean, like they should have been gripped to them. But I just wore them off because I was just holding on for dear life, scared as heck. You know, on on the really good dirt, on really easy to ride, compacted dirt. Mm. And over time, you just loosen up and let go. Let it go. Yeah, experience. <laughs> just took a time. long time. Yeah, I'm not the most natural rider, which is probably why Jason used to call me Captain Slow the whole time. And, oh, come on, princess, I can't ride your bike for you. I'm like the motivational school of Jason. That was, um, that was a challenge in the beginning, just letting go. And, yeah, like you're saying, uh, wild, taking care of your morning ablutions while in the wild. That's the thing you have to just get over yourself with and just take care of. Oh, and our truck as well, because you can't be inside it. Then we have to cook, drink and eat outside permanently. And we're still working on um, trying to find a really good tent awning solution, which means, yeah, if it is absolutely persisting it down, you still got to cook outside. So that, yeah. The elements. Yeah. No, I think we've just about found now an, a way to get ourselves under cover so that we can take care of that one nice yeah. it's really tough with wind especially wind the other day i was packing chopping my pack choy and it all just flew off into the distance and same with my spinach i was like what a royal waste of time i'm just watching my <laughs> spinach fly away i'm like what's we're looking forward to that spinach like confetti spinach <laughs> small struggles really <laughs> it's gonna be the realities of problems. overland travel yeah your spinach flies away yeah, yeah. <laughs> what else sucks oh the constant companionship <laughs> honestly that is the best yeah. and the worst thing we, we've been traveling together on more and off since the year 2000 we've been together the whole time so that is the best and the worst thing you know when you're hangry you're just tired you're starving and automatically, it's not my fault. It's going to be, yeah. The yeah, only person. The other person. Yeah, you have to it. remind yourself. Yeah, Am I tired sure. and or hungry? Yes, it's not him. It's not all him. Because <laughs> he's there. <laughs> yeah. Who else am I going to take my registrations on? Yeah, that is tough, isn't it? Sometimes yeah, it you just is. don't get a break from each other. So you have to have um, a certain number of strategies to go off, take yourself away, go for a walk, offer a snack bar. That's somebody else's strategy when they the other person offers a snack bar that's the code for saying you're being a challenge right now would you like a snack bar stop being a challenge thank you i love that and the delivery yes. of that yes. snack bar has to be it speaks volumes yes because you don't want to make somebody just come more out. challenging because you've told yeah. them that they're being challenging <laughs> <laughs> yes that is a tricky one how do you get around that one good question yeah. although a uh, by really positive byproduct of when i was really uh when i got overly frustrated on the bike is i'd actually start caring a whole lot less in the technical in the in the loose stuff on the rides that you know were so you'd be angry technical so you'd be angry and she would loosen up I'd, I'd ride like a pro. And she would ride better when she was angry. Like fishtailing, you'd be sometimes <laughs> struggling to keep up with me, but only those times when I was really annoyed. Just at anything or something. I was just tired. 
And I just wouldn't care. And off I went. And, you know, it was really frustrating for Jace because he's he's questioning, why can't I ride like that all the time? That would be brilliant, woman. Just crack on. But no, only when I was a bit frustrated. It happens, right? Yeah. So if you learned to ride a motorcycle and got really annoyed, you'd ride like a pro. I'm sure of it. It's all emotionally driven, though, which isn't good, is it? I'm not consistent. So speaking of riding, you have a grand new plan. So you've gone bikes, four-wheel drive, and now... (laughs) And now we're going back to bikes. So exciting. So we're we're just giving White Rhino a bit of a rest for a while. We've decided that we want to go back to bikes for a while. It's nice to mix it up a little bit. We're going to go back to North America, uh, back to South America, across to Africa, and then back up into Europe. Big trip. So basically a rough square. And we're going to call it the Mega Transect. And this time we're going to video it. So we we have been a bit late to the party, but we're going to do a YouTube series starting when we arrive in North America, which should be about the middle of July. So we will start producing... Uh, a fortnightly video from mid-July onwards and then that might then go to a weekly video. And the YouTube channel is called Four Wheeled Nomad because technically two bikes is still four wheels. Nice. So it still makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Four Wheeled Nomad. All spelled out. (laughs) So what made you decide to go back to the bikes? After you have all these creature comforts. Oh, yeah, that's a difficult one because there's no perfect vehicle. So there's going to be times on this bike trip when I'm going to be thinking, I wish we had the truck. I think that we said about (laughs) four-wheel drive Mm. (laughs) and the reasons why we started to ride in the first place. Yeah. We love both. We love both. And there's aspects of riding on bikes being connected to where we are being out in the environment more which we really enjoy sleeping under the stars next to your bike Mm. no tent in the desert just having the coyotes yipping in the background is (laughs) is my piece of heaven so and that simplicity just not having all the stuff Mm -hmm. even though it's almost like a i'm almost like a contradiction sometimes i i love all the tech and i want all the toys and everything else and the comfort longer and then sometimes i want the simplicity of just having two rock two panniers and a roll bag few items and living really minimally and traveling really minimally yeah so we're just mixing it up a little bit what's going to be different about this trip than the last one in terms of your experience because you have so much more experience from the first well, Alaska we to Argentina yeah, yeah. So, so we've so, cut our teeth already now haven't we we know what we're letting ourselves in for I in theory should know how to ride a bike I should be able to just after four and a half years hit the ground running after a warm-up period Mm. well you'd think so in theory Mm. we will see Mm. (laughs) and you know we just ache now for our bikes it's been six years since the end of the last bike trip we went on bigger bikes so we went on much heavier bikes that then dictated where we could go even though we were told about this issue you're never going to wish your bike was heavier We still opted for an 800 We, uh, we still opted for a bigger bike. And and if I'm honest with myself, my ego probably got in the way of it. Probably. The decision-making a little bit. And the thought of going back to, or going on a trip with really small bikes didn't appeal. But now, from the lessons we've learned, being out in the desert, being in situations where the bikes were too big, too heavy, the bikes were falling over, we're having to pick them up, we were doing this at elevation, we didn't have the energy and, you know... And And the uh, difference in our riding abilities... I'm not saying I've closed that gap, but at least it it isn't as extreme as it was going to be, as it was on the last bike trip. You know, in theory, I should have more confidence this time and a level of competence that I never had, you know, for the first two years after four and a half year bike trip you know it just took me a while to get the hang of it get, get the ropes so yeah with that with that in mind we're going to smaller dirt bikes Yay. or dirt orientated bikes which Light. means that the bikes won't dictate where we go this time because there has been occasions where we've got to you know a trailhead somewhere and i've looked at it and gone that's far too technical for you know the the bike's We've got um, the weight, I'm assuming. And the weight. And, you know, at the end of the day, 
we're out to enjoy ourselves. You know, yes, it's nice to challenge yourselves, but you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you're just making life hard for yourself because then it becomes unpleasurable. You know, you, you're not enjoying the trip. So Jason is being kind as well. I've seen him riding sand on his 800 and, he, you know, he's a pro. He's a master. He, he can handle himself. He's not a Dakar rider, but he knows what he's doing. Whereas because he had me in tow, then, yeah, he can't ride slowly. But like I like to ride painfully slowly. So, yeah, it's a whole we've thought about it much more carefully this time. And we learned from, you know, our hard lessons from last time, haven't we? We're yeah. just going to put all those lessons learned into practice this time. And I really hope it already feels like a much more smooth and seamless endeavour to approach this trip and get a little bit of support that we're looking for. Um, you know, we've got connections from the first trip and all that inside intel, you know, having done it before. You know, knowledge is king, isn't it? We're doing exactly what we intended to do, what we've already done before again, but with the knowledge of having learned all the lessons. You know, we've reflected and we've evaluated and we can take all that best practice and incorporate it into this trip. So I really hope that is just going to stand us in good stead. And gosh, visiting all those people that we've met, as many as we can, you know, when, when uh, the universe aligns to, to reconnect and reunite with all those fantastic people as well in the Americas. Yeah, I was going to ask really if exciting. you had anything that you're really looking forward to, places that you'd like to go back to or places that you didn't go to yeah. last time that you'd oh, like to check yeah. out this time. So, that might be revealed on the trip. Yeah, there's, oh. yeah for Stay sure. There's, there's one area in the Atacama Desert that's actually I, I really wanted to go and see. and We couldn't go and see it purely for the reasons that I described earlier because mm. the, the trail was too technical. He had a captain slow and in tow. I had to obviously consider Lisa's riding ability as well um, because I couldn't, obviously, if we got into difficulty, I can't ride both bikes at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so, Jesus, you're yeah, just not trying. trying hard enough. No, no. Take one for the team. So, yeah. so He can tow me, though. He has towed me before, like to buy the piece of rope. Oh, several occasions he had to do that. You have towed me when my bike's broken. Yeah. Oh, that, gosh, that was never again. Yeah. That's what, a, never that's again. A, that's another towed. story. Well, towing a bike, you know, it, how can I describe especially it? Especially on loose sand oh, and grit and gravel. Yeah, it's not something you want to do unless it's the la <laughs> last resort. Get that bike you know, out of there. Towing a bike from bike to bike it can go wrong pretty fast. But, you know, it, sometimes it's the only option you've got. Yeah. yeah do you have some bikes you have your eye on? Is there anything you really are jonesing so, so for? So we've, we've got our eye on one bike. It, it might not be the bike, but it's definitely up there as a strong contender. And that's the KTM 500 EXCF. I wanted something that was light enough, but had enough power that I was happy with, but not something that I felt that it was unmanageable for Lisa. It's a very tall bike, so it's definitely going to take a little bit of practice, especially for for Lisa to get really used to. This. I but really wipe my neck in, put my big girl pants on. Oh, and I can put my um, seat concept in, which is lowering the bike with a custom seat and I can if Jason will allow me to lower the suspension get that whole thing lowered a little bit during your last long-term trip you had different bikes yes same brand same brand which yeah. were the, the BMW 800 GS is what I rode and Lisa had the uh, 650 GS and now you're riding the same bike yes why I think we can share tools the, the Maybe yes. share parts, rape and pillage each other's parts on each other's bikes, perhaps to get one bike out of trouble. And, you know, you can also take uh, off a part off my bike, put it on his to see if that's the problem. You can problem solve as well that way. We can ride each other's bikes. I mean, I could technically, I, d I did ride Jason's 800 on a couple of occasions, but I never would have wanted to in an emergency situation. I really would have just had to. Whereas on, on bikes that we can both ride because we're riding the same bikes anyway, it just, yeah, seems to make so much more sense. That's smart. Yeah. Is that we should have done that last time. With couples I that think, they yeah. ride the same yeah. style yeah. or yeah. model. Sorry. We know quite a few couples that ride the same bikes you know and then you can set up your bike individually to how you each like to ride it at the end of the day yeah you can share parts and tools i guess yeah i think that's one of the main advantages is if you do have a uh, a breakdown that you you have 
you, you can basically scavenge parts off the other bike to at least test it to see whether that's the part that you need to replace. Consistent as well. Mm. There's no conflict mm-hmm. of interest. This yeah. has been fun. I have one more question. What are your favorite books? Each of you. Number one. Favorite book? books? Book. Number one oh, book. book. My favorite fiction book is Where the Crawdads Sing. What's that about? It's about a lady who lives in the swamp. It's amazing. And it rocked my world. You need to read it. Nonfiction. I loved New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Really opened my eyes from a spiritual perspective and just working out a few things about yourself. When you're looking at yourself introspectively, then New Earth by Eckhart Tolle is my favourite nonfiction. Mm. But I also love books by Sadhguru as well. He's a, he's really up there. He's my spiritual leader. What does he write about? Most topics are about what is he writing? He's writing about how to stay consciously aware from a spiritual perspective, how to stay present, um, becoming a realized being, all those good things. Uh, I think for me, um, another one of Eckhart books, Eckhart Tolle, is The Power of Now. Ooh, good one. Uh, so the power of now is basically looking at, you know, this is the only moment we, we truly have. And if we stay in this moment, then that's the end of all your suffering. So that is the essence of the book. I mean, obviously, he goes into it in a lot more detail and a lot better than I could ever explain it. But I would say that was probably my favorite book. Mm. And the book I'm reading right now is Jordan uh, Peterson's 12 Rules of Life also really good fantastic yeah well thank you guys so much for taking the time to come onto the overland journal podcast and chat with me sure, about it was a pleasure. thank you for having us your experiences and your hot tips for camping in <laughs> the nordic countries in the winter going to <laughs> scotland and I'm your new new adventures on your bike and i'm really looking forward to following along on your new adventure on your new bikes and watching your youtube videos and continuing to read your beautiful pieces and enjoy your captivating photography and uh yeah if anybody wants to check out Lisa and Jason's work quite frequently in Overland Journal. I don't know what the last I don't know what the last article was, but I think there are quite a few photography focused ones, yeah. giving yeah, a sure. lot a whole series on capturing photos in different uh, landscapes and conditions. So like in the dark and photographing water and mm-hmm. lots of good tips there. Got a few more in the works. Perfect. Yeah, Some pipeline sure. con- pipeline content in there as well. And then if people want to find you online, where do they go to yeah. find your website or so, social media? So our website is www.fourwheelnomad.com. All spelled out. No F-O-U-R. numbers. F-O-U-R. Yeah. yeah. With an E-D. And the same on Instagram, fourwheelnomad. And the same for Facebook. Fantastic. Great. And soon, YouTube. Fourwheelnomad. Great. Very looking forward to all of that. So, yeah. Thank you guys again. And... Thanks for listening to the Overland Journal podcast and watching if you're on YouTube. Um, Thanks for taking the time to join us and we hope to see you next time. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks again.